On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. Well, in this edition of About Books, we'll talk with a former Defense Department official who went from a career in politics to starting her own podcast, focusing on her love of books. But first, one book news update on a highly coveted recognition among American bookstores. Publishers Weekly has named Midtown Scholar in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the winner of the 2023 Bookstore of the Year. Midtown Scholar is celebrating its 20th anniversary as a bricks and mortar store this year. It's also hosted the Harrisburg Book Festival for more than a decade. Now, in addition to Midtown Scholar, Publishers Weekly 2023 Bookstore of the Year finalists included the Edmonds Bookshop in Edmonds, Washington, Harvey's Tales in Geneva, Illinois, Interabang Books in Dallas, and Main Street Books in Lafayette, Indiana. And this is the 31st year in a row that Publishers Weekly has given out the Bookstore of the Year Award, and we say congratulations to Midtown Scholar in Harrisburg. And now we turn from book selling to book podcasting. Tori Clark is a former political operative who worked for both Presidents George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush. She decided to start a podcast to highlight her love of books. It's called Chatter on Books, and she recently joined Book TV to talk about it. Tori Clark, how do you go from a career in politics to a spokesperson at the Department of Defense to a book podcaster? What, what's the wow. track there? The track is, when I was very young, I loved books. Books were my sanctuary, they were my safe place, they were my escape. And then umpteen years of multiple jobs. My God, you guys, you and I have known each other for so long and I've worked in every agency in town. And raising a family, there was no time for books. So now, the jobs are a little less high pressure and there's a little bit more time and I hung out in a great bar called Chatter. And so then we came up with this idea for Chatter on Books. That's and, how it happens. And is it a podcast? It is a program? It is a podcast. Occasionally we do things. C-SPAN has very nicely been there. We do things in a location, say in a bookstore. We taped in the Calvert Woodley liquor store once. That was great. Right before Thanksgiving, customers got very cranky because we were taking up space as they were trying to get their minis. So we tape in some places, but um, the bad news was the pandemic. So we couldn't do as much in person. The good news was we do it via Zoom now. We tape on Monday evenings and you can get, you know, wonderful authors and they'll do anything to come on C-SPAN. But this kind of up and coming podcast, not as well known, but when you can get them via Zoom, they're willing to do it from anywhere. We did a podcast, a fabulous podcast with Ken Follett and he Zoomed in from London, which was terrific. What kind of guests do you go for? They have to be interesting. The books, almost always are interesting. We cover topics from A to Z, but they have to be interesting, they have to be fun, and we are always very honest when, when we're pitching them or their people why they should come on Chatter on Books. I always say we are a cross between Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and PTI with books and sometimes drinks thrown in. And we'll debate bestsellers, we'll talk to them, we always like to get their backstories, we ask them about their book, and then the conversation can go 18 different ways. 
as you know, some people can roll with that and some people can't. So they have to be fun, interesting people who are willing to roll with things. And these days, you can find video of anybody, anytime. And you can pretty quickly go, might be a fabulous book, but that person is probably not going to have much fun on Chatter. Besides Ken Follett, who are some of the other authors you've had on? Wow. We like to say it runs the gamut from names everybody would recognize. Ken Follett, Eric Larson, Susan Orlean, New Yorker fame, fantastic. And then people that you will be hearing from soon that we've had on. Um, so Chio Gonzalez, great book called Olga Dies Dreaming. Angie Kim, who's from the DMV, fabulous book called Miracle Creek. Um, Donnie Walton, The Final Revival of Opal and Nev, these up-and-coming authors, Disha Filia, who are starting to get the recognition and the awards they deserve, and we like to say we've discovered them, of course. Well, Tori Clark, you work for John McCain, you work for George H.W. Bush, Both you work Bushes. for George Both W. Bushes. Bush. Thank you, age me, Peter, thank you. I don't see any yeah. polemical books or political books in that list. Very few. And part of this is, I'm going back to my word escape, this, this show is an escape for people. And, I'll, I, and it really started out because I was very fortunate to be on Tony Kornheiser's radio show for many years, which then became a podcast. And it was his bar called Chatter where we started all of this. Um, and we realized pretty quickly people love that there's a, there's a family feel to it. And we like to have fun. And it was an escape from politics. As you know, politics can be really tough these days. It's been fraught with emotion. This is a bit of an escape. So every once in a while, um, I'm sure you had her on, Susan Page had a fantastic biography of Mrs. Bush, Barbara Bush. And it was not about politics. It was about their marriage, the, the trauma of losing their young daughter and how that impacted decisions he made. We had Karen Tumulty on talk about her biography of Nancy Reagan. That's about as close as we get. We'll leave that up to you all. What's the podcast address for our listeners? Because this is a program and a sure. podcast. Well, you know, as we like to say, you can get us anywhere you listen to your podcast. But if you go to chatteronbooks.com, chatteronbooks is all one word, you can see upcoming episodes, you can see previous ep episodes we've had. Um, John was just telling me before the show, we're over 150 now. I didn't even know that. But you can get all the information you need right there. Do you make money off this? Aren't you adorable? No. Uh, we're close to breaking even. Um, we have Patreon patrons, which is an interesting thing. You give people for a very minimal fee. You give people um, extra content. You know, the, the outtakes, the, the goofy mistakes we make. We do a thing with many of our authors at the end of the regular taping. We call it 60 Seconds More, in which we ask them rapid fire questions. Your favorite childhood book. What classic do you love? What classic do you hate? So the Patreon patrons give us a little bit of money, which is nice. Um, there's a wonderful organization called bookshop.org, which is, does a tremendous job supporting independent bookstores, and we are big supporters of theirs. So as an affiliate, if someone buys one of these fabulous books from bookshop.org, we get a few cents. Tori Clark, how often do you do a program where you go on location and film it video? Not enough. Before the pandemic, we had started to do it. C-SPAN was so kind to come to a couple of the local bookstores. We taped in the Calvert Woodley Liquor Store once, which was fabulous, although we annoyed the customers right before Thanksgiving. And we did one at Georgetown University, which was terrific, uh, with the fellow, oh, his name's escaping me. He wrote the book that broke the story about Elizabeth Holmes, Bad Blood. And that was great, because we did it with students. So we want to do more of that going forward, have some live ones. But generally, the Zoom, the Zoom is a wonderful platform. Do you spend any time on book talk? 
he okay? Recently, yes, and should spend more. And, you know, we're not the fancy people in books, but I know the fancy people in books go, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's a lot of young people or it's a lot of romance or it's a lot of whatever. A lot of people are reading because of that. I think that's a good thing. And if young people are reading romance books or they're reading dystopian, God bless them, they're reading. So we should spend more time engaged in that. When did you start this? Excellent question, about three years ago. Yeah, I think we're coming up on three and a half years now. And we do it, it works out to about three shows per month, sometimes more, um, but it works out to about that. We try to take a few weeks off in August. So you're doing year round? Oh yeah, we are doing year round. And you, you know from what you do with all your fabulous authors, there's so much talent out there. There's so much great content, any topic under the sun. Sometimes we do impromptu things. I was sharing the story with you recently um, after the George Floyd murders, which occurred on a Thursday night, we changed the show we had planned for Monday night and had on a, a guy named Chris Wilson, fabulous guy who was a convicted murderer who spent a lot of time in prison and he had some really interesting thoughts to bring to the table. So we'll do things that are topical, for instance, um, which makes it really nice. We can turn on a dime. Who was your first guest? Oh, Mark Leibovich. Interestingly, Mark Leibovich, then of the New York Times, now at the Atlantic, one of the all-time greatest guys in town. I'm sure you've had him on. And he had decided after following the first Trump administration for a while, he wanted to do something completely different. And he writes a book about the NFL, but it turned out so much of it was about Trump. But he was fabulous. Did you read his book, Our Town? Yes, but only after I had read the book on the NFL. The one thing about Our Town and Mark Leibovich, there was no index whatsoever. And for Washington you readers. Have, you have to explain it for your non-Washingtonians why that's a big deal. Well, because the first thing we do is go back and see if our names are in there or if our organizations are in the yes. index. Yeah. And my we go to that page. My favorite thing about reading the, the index. The Washington Read, it's The called. Washington Read, one of Bob Woodward's books. I don't remember which one. It was the first one I think he did on the Bush 43 administration. And I flipped to it and I you know, Troy Clark, you know, he listed my name as Victoria A. Clark. Now, usually people misspell Clark. He got that right. The letter A, I don't have a middle name. Not only is it not A, so I like to say I'm one of the few people about whom Bob Wilbur has made a factual mistake. How do, you, how do you spell Clark? With an E at the end. With an E at the often end. Often gets misspelled. I'm, you know, I go by Tory, T-O-R-I-E, often gets misspelled. Do you bring your Republican sensibilities into your interviews? You have a no. long background as a Republican. Sure. I like to say conservative. I like to say conservative. Uh, I, I'm sure I do. It's not front of brain. Uh, I think I'd probably try to put that aside. Um, it's more the experiences I've had. So for instance, I worked in the US Trade Representative's office under Carla Hills. So when some, you know, say Ken Follett starts taking medieval uh, examples of geopolitical things going on today, I can, I can click into that. or. We have a, a panel, we usually have a panel that helps work with the authors, um, interview the authors, and very often one of them is Jamie McIntyre, dear friend who covered the Pentagon for CNN for many years. We can bring some things to the equation based on those experiences, but it's more the experience than any political persuasion. Have you ever had a guest say no because of your background? Not that I know of. If they say no, it's because, oh, I'm so busy, these kinds of things. Um, Barbara Kingsolver, you know the author Barbara Kingsolver? 
totally intrigued by her, love her books, would love to have her on the show. This is the best blow off I've ever gotten. And you go to her website, whatever it is, and usually there's a list of contacts. Sometimes you can find the person directly, list of contacts. And it said, um, because of the demand and this and that, accepts, um, please send a letter to this address, some address in Virginia. And I sent off a very nice letter, a usual thing. A week later, get the nicest letter back from her assistant, saying she's so sorry she can't do it, but she's so busy. And I keep it because it's the nicest thing ever. The ones that drive me crazy, the ones that don't answer. I'm happy if you want to say no, but just let me know. But they usually say yes. Tori Clark, there have been some book bans out yeah. there in the world today, and I, I, I don't want to call them widespread. They seem to yes. be very localized. Do you have a take on that? Have you ever done anything on that? Yeah, we talk, it comes up too often, unfortunately. And Ron Charles is the Washington Post book critic, fabulous guy. We've had him on a few times because he brings a great perspective to things. And this was a year or so ago, he's on the show, and I went and found and had dug up something he had written 10 years ago. And he was, he was gently making fun of National Book Banning Week or something like that, where people were bemoaning books that were being banned 10 years ago. And he was saying, he, Ron Charles, was saying, this is not a big deal. So in 2022, I said, Ron, look at this. And he goes, I know, I can't believe I said it, because I find myself writing about it every week. I find it distressing. I think more information is usually the answer to problems, not less. I think exposing people to as many different opinions and viewpoints really helps everyone, so I find it very distressing. I think some things get complicated very quickly. So if you're talking about, are we going to update the language in Tom Sawyer so it's, it's more correct? I don't know. Are we erasing part of history? I, I don't have good answers. It comes up a lot. People tend to say, on the one hand, this, but then on the other hand, that. Um, so it's, I find it very difficult. We just had uh, David Blight from Yale University yeah, yeah. on this program. Uh -huh. And I asked him that question about Huck Finn. And he said, no, it should not be yeah. updated. He's yeah. at Yale, longtime professor, and he's doing this new series on black lives. Uh -huh. um, yeah. He's producing this new book series on black lives. And yeah. he said, no, it should not be updated. Do you Dave, have an opinion? Yeah, David Aldrich is one of our, our contributors. He's with me almost every single week. Fabulous guy. He is a rock star in the world of sports. Worked for the Washington Post. Um, TNT covered basketball, now with The Athletic, fantastic. He is black. We just talked about this the other day when we were interviewing Ilion Wu, who wrote the book Master, Slave, Husband, Wife, a fantastic book. And this came up again. And Dave, I don't say it's a blanket answer, but David the other night was saying, if you start erasing all of that, then people aren't going to know. Our kids, our grandchildren are not going to know what people did, how they behaved, how they spoke. So in general, he is opposed to changing those things as well. Did you see the story about the digital books? That was wild, in which you buy a digital book, and then unbeknownst to you, you pick it up six months later, it has retroactively been changed. Like Roald Dahl, yeah. the uh, children's yeah. author. Nuts. Do you try to find books that nobody else has found? Yes. Or that just you personally read and you want to talk to the author? Yeah, sometimes the more obscure the better. And again, thanks to the internet, lots of bad things, you can usually find something about the person, and you can find a video, God bless them, they went to some tiny independent bookstore in New Mexico, and you can see them and go, okay, they're really passionate about this work, so they'd be good 
on our show. I can't take credit for discovering them, but so Chio Gonzalez, who wrote Olga Dies Dreaming, fabulous person, fabulous book. Um, Angie Kim, again, she's from the DMV. I, and she wrote this book called the Miracle. The DMV Cru being? Sorry, District, Maryland, Virginia, which is what people in DC call it to try to, we try to be hip. There's right. nothing less cool than Washington, D.C., but if we see the DMV, it sounds a little cooler. Uh, I, I can't say we discovered her. Uh, Lou Byard, who is a Washington, D.C.-based author, he writes great historical fiction. Jackie and Me, fantastic. Um, Pale Blue Eye, recently made into a movie. He introduced me to her. But I can't say we discovered them completely, but they're not ones you and I would have heard of if I hadn't had this podcast. What about self-published? Depends on the book. Try to think if we've had somebody. It's not coming to mind right away, but sure. In this day and age, why not? It's the content that matters. Have you had self-published on? I'm trying to think. Yeah. Maybe one or two. Yeah. Yeah. I can see some, uh, and it would be obviously be easier for an established author. I can see some of them wanting to go that route because as the publishing industry consolidates, like every other, major, older industry, the restrictions become so big. Sometimes the authors, all, I will commend an author on having a really unique cover, the cover art on the book, and they go, oh, I had to fight the publisher for months over that. I can see an established author saying, I can do this. Well, you're the author of two books. What was the process like for you? Oh, hilarious. The first one, one of the worst books ever produced by somebody from Washington, D.C., Lipstick on a Pig. Um, I was very, very busy at the time, that's my excuse. Uh, was given an editor who, with good reason, had many, many, many more important things to do than help me with that book. So there was not a lot of editing, which showed up in the final product. Um, because the topic, you know, it was, it was based somewhat on various jobs I've had, it got me a lot of speeches, so that was good. And then years later, for my father, I did a wonderful little book called, um, it's, it's, you know, Surviving, How to Survive Washington Without Losing Your Soul. And never went anywhere, never got any traction. Again, I got very busy on other things, but I'm actually much prouder of that because it's better written, um, had a wonderful person help me edit it, had wonderful illustrations by a guy named Galifianakis, who is from Northern Virginia, and so I love that one. I give it out as people forget about it, with good reason, and sometimes I'll give it out as a party favor. Well, you spent a lot of time in official Washington. Do you yeah. still feel connected to the city, or have you kind of stepped back? Connected because some of my friends are still into it. Connected because, as you know, it gets into your DNA, it gets into your marrow, and you, you can't get it out. I'm pretty distressed at the, we, we've talked for decades, oh, Washington is so tough, and, and you kind of go, come on, you know, they used to beat people over the head with their canes on the floor of the house. But it's pretty bad, right? The, the acrimony's pretty bad, the partisanship is pretty bad, so I'm not happy with it, but I'm still here. And it's turned into a fabulous city. When you and I were growing up here, we grew up here and we worked here because this is where we worked. And it's a beautiful city, but it didn't have a lot of other things to offer. It didn't matter because we worked so hard. But now we've got 320-somethings, my husband and I do, two of whom live here in the area. It's a great city. It's got great bars, great restaurants, great culture, so many things to do. So even though I'm not as deep in the official business, there's still wonderful reasons to live here. Are you doing anything besides the podcast? Yes. I, uh, a couple nonprofit boards, one of which is the Rumsfeld Foundation, which I'm very proud of. Um, I, and what does it do? What's it its purpose? It is 
that is, it has two main purposes. It does fellowships for Central Asian fellows. So these are mid-level uh, public and private sector people from Central Asian countries who come over here for six, eight weeks, have tremendous experiences. And then the other half of it is U.S. fellows who are graduate, postgraduate students studying national security. And we give them money to help fund their educations. Fabulous. And then I do a little bit of consulting. It tends to be very project-specific uh, crisis management focus, which I like. There's a beginning, there's an end. I can stop. And I have gone back to school, which is insane. I was a terrible student when I was a child. You don't get better at that. You don't come back 40 years later and go, oh, I'm a good student. It's very hard. But I am getting a master's in social work at Catholic University. Why? Which is a ton of fun. Because I would, I'm, I'm hopeful my next chapter is going to be combining two things I care deeply about. One is the military, and there's a tremendous problem of military with high rates of PTSD, and the other is horses. And there's a wonderful alternative form of therapy increasingly being used in which the military veterans with PTSD and first responders work with the horses in this equine-assisted therapy. And it's got, anecdotally so far, but tremendous results. So hopefully I can get more formally engaged on that, but you actually have to have some education and some training. Thus, my tragic educational career right now. John McCain, George H.W. Bush, second campaign, USTR, DOD, chatter on books. What's been your favorite job? Every one of them. Hey, hey, seriously. I, I've only had one bad, bad job in my time here. It was six months at the Department of Justice, which you notice never shows up anywhere. Look, his head goes, what? Terrible job. But other than that, I've loved every one of them. I have been so fortunate, so blessed to work with and for terrific people. So that every single one of them, fantastic. And sometimes John McCain and the Bushes and John McCain and Don Rumsfeld, n not a lot of love there. And they were always, oh, do you like that one better than me? I love them all. Um, and now, I, I'm sure there are bad books out there. Not too many. You know, each one represents something. And I love meeting these people every week. I love reading things that I might not otherwise have picked up off a shelf. It's fantastic. You ever go up to New York to the publishing houses? Yes. And I, it's like anything else. It's an older industry. It's consolidating. It has its rules. It's you know these kinds of things. But there are individual people in each one of those publishing houses that get up every day saying, I want to do the best for this author, even if he or she is not well known. I want to make sure this is the greatest interview for these established people like Ken Follett. So I've identified some people in each one. I really like them. I hear from them every day. And we're in constant communication. Yeah. So you've gotten on the map enough that yeah. the publishers are contacting yeah. you as well. And I feel badly because sometimes something will come across. And, you know, somebody who wants to do the political persuasions of, I don't know, Kiwi birds in New Zealand, I just go, mm, probably not for us. I feel badly turning them down. But I try to respond to all of them. How many listeners do you have? Oh, millions. It varies wildly. Uh, and because of podcasts, some people listen to it when the podcast drops, um, which is Tuesdays. And then other people, they, oh, no, that's what I do Friday afternoon. So it kind of, you get a rolling count. But it can be f as few as a few thousand. It can be as many as 15,000, 20,000 per show. 60 seconds. Favorite <laughs> childhood book? Black Beauty. Why? Horses. Horses. Horses, life lessons, charity, humility, kindness. What's a classic that everybody should read? Oh, Don Quixote. Yeah. Again, the horses thing? 
No, no, but I Th- like that the was donkey. Mules, yeah, it was, it was donkey. Yeah, yeah, there's a great joke about getting a donkey and naming him Don Quixote. Anyways, uh, Don Quixote. Now the question, and this is a chatter and books question: What's the worst classic that no one should read? That was the next question. Moby Dick. Why? Look at him draw. It was one of your favorite books, wasn't it? I've never read it. Don't waste your time. Here's the deal. I went back to read it a few years ago because I thought I got to this phase. This was before the show, but I thought I should reread some of the classics. Let's. Take that one. I don't know what it is. Over a thousand pages, eight hundred of which, eight hundred which are about tying knots. There's maybe a page on the excitement of the whale and this and that, and you think this should be a movie, but it's eight hundred pages on tying knots. It's well, dreadful. Maybe that's the details of life that we all have to go through. The knots. The knots. Oh, that's your smart I that was... book person. Yeah. That's yeah. Again, really good. I've never read the book. I don't have to tell you. Don't. I just re- reread the Iliad and the Odyssey. God bless you. How I long know, did it right? take you? Um, it was an audio book, and it took me a 12-hour mm. car ride. Okay, so are you an audio person, a print person, Kindle? What do you do? Print, hard copy. Yeah. You? Th- that's my favorite. I spend a lot of time in my car going to and from the horses. So especially with books, um, we have authors on the show. If I can do both, I want to do both. Um, have you had Bing West on, former yes. military, right? I got, we, we were going to have him on, I got his book, and I'm reading it going, and maybe it was because I was so close to the subject matter, but I'm reading it going, okay, 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 okay. The audio version was fantastic, it was fantastic, and it made me think of things that I hadn't thought of otherwise, and especially, uh, I just different books, I think the audio version can be so much more meaningful, so I try to do both when I have time. What are you currently reading, not for chatter on books? Not much. It works out to over 50 books, you know, usually over 50 books a year. No, I just, I have to rave about Master, Slave, Husband, Wife, because we just finished it, and we just had Elian Wu on it, based on the true story of an enslaved couple that escaped 1848 from Macon, Georgia, to get to Philadelphia, and... And the crisscross. The crisscross, and they hid in, in plain sight. They hid in plain sight how they did it. It's so exciting, so wonderful, and it, it caused me to go down some rabbit holes to read other things. So I'm still reading it. Tori Clark, Chatter on Books is the name of the podcast. The address is chatteronbooks.com. Thanks for being with us on Book TV. Thank you so much for having me. Great to see you. Well, thanks for joining us for About Books, a program and podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. Book TV will continue to bring you publishing news and author programs. And a reminder that you can get this program as a podcast on our C-SPAN Now app, and you can get all the other C-SPAN podcasts there as well. And you can also watch Book TV programs anytime online at booktv.org.